Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And if you listen to this podcast, I've had uh, several guests on here that have been part of Oliver Harper's uh, videos and podcasts before Oliver himself and Richard. And there's always one other prominent person in his videos, and he's my guest today. Who am I speaking to today? Hey, everyone. It's Duncan Casey. How are you doing today, sir? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. And since people who listen to Oliver's podcast know that Duncan is an actor working in London, and so I decided, like, I wanted to know more about acting, and, and Duncan being an acting, I would say, expert, I was like, all right, let me yeah. see if uh, uh, you have more experience than the people I, ha- I know who are actors around me, so I guess that's how I justify that statement. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, oh, I hope we got this work. So I sent you an email and you were very gracious enough willing to take part of this podcast. Not at all. Not at all. All right. So we're going to be getting into Duncan's uh, history with acting and feelings on acting overall. <laughs> Like I was saying, I tried to do this in chronological order. For some people who do not know, uh, where were you born and raised, sir? Uh, I was born uh, in, in Nassau, in the Bahamas, uh, back in, in good old 1984. And um, thanks, George Orwell. Uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, and we but we moved to the UK when I was very young. So when I was about one, I think um, we moved uh, here. So I grew up in predominantly in. Um, in Cambridge, we moved around a lot, but but basically, I, my my formative years were in, in Cambridge in the UK. Got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Um, do you remember your first uh, VHS memory? VHS memory. That's a good one. Yeah, probably. Um, I'm trying to think. I think one of my aunts gave me Oliver the musical, the one with Ron Moody and uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mark oh. Lester was it? He played Oliver, and the, the 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 kind of one that everyone remembers. Yeah, um, from with, and Oliver Reed. You remember yes. Oliver Reed? There, with a, come here, bullseye, come here. <laughs> that, one. that one. That's the one that I got. I think. I think that might have been. I mean, that was probably my first like VHS, like actual store bought with a label on it. Video. Mm-hmm. I think that or Mr. Bean. Actually, maybe it's Mr. Bean. I can't remember. But a lot of <laughs> recorded stuff off TV. That yeah, was, yeah, a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember your first movie theater memory? I'm told by my mother, um, with great glee, uh, that it was Lady and the Tramp, and that my legs wouldn't... T- I had to sit on, because we had these, the, the, the foldy-up seats mm-hmm. in the cinema, and I had to sit on it with it folded up so that I was high enough off the ground, but my legs were, like, dangling and kicking about. But apparently, that was <laughs> that was the first thing I saw in the cinema. The first thing I, I probably remember... Um, or the first, thing, the first thing that I was really excited about seeing was... was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think. Mm-hmm. 
and it seems like it's since I've done podcasts with both Oliver and Richard, both of them have brought up Ninja Turtles mm. seeing it, and I assume you saw that in Cambridge as well. Yeah, it probably would have. Both, we would have all seen that at the same place, I should think. Which would have, I'm not sure what it was what it was called at the time, but it's now a, an arts picture house it's in, mm. or above a pub. But mm. it used to be it was the ADC or ABC, I think, something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you remember the first time you ever acted? Um, first time I ever acted would have been, I think, at school, at primary school, um, which for you guys is... Elementary uh, school. I guess elementary school, yeah, because you've got kindergarten, elementary. Elementary stops at 11-ish? ish. Um, like, like our elementary went from like kindergarten to, like I guess, like sixth grade. Then there was like, okay. oh, there was like a middle school between seventh and eighth grade, and then high school was like ninth till 12th. I know it's they, breaking it apart like that. Right. At least the school district I was in, that's how they, they uh, divide every people up because the school district I went to covered a big part of Long Island. So they're like, all right, we can't have all these people in one building because so that's why they separated it. Okay, okay. Well, when I was about, I guess I must have been about sort of seven or eight. And they did Oliver. They did Oliver at school. And that was the first thing I was kind of in. And I was an urchin. And I remember I knew all of the, the lead roles. I thought, if I learn it all, maybe they'll ask me to be Oliver. I don't know why, because it was rubbish. My friend, I think Fraser, I think that was his name, did it mm. brilliantly, brilliantly. You know, but he and he was older than me. But he, yeah, he played Oliver, and I remember thinking, I, and I had no lines. <laughs> I had no lines as an urchin. I just had to fall over a lot, I think, <laughs> and um, uh, or pretend to be asleep. And um, yeah, and I would, but I remember then. I think the next year or the year after that, they did Robin Hood, and I was Robin Hood, and, I, and so I worked my way up very quickly at school. And I wish that's how my career went. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think that was my first acting thing. Or maybe like a primary school doing nativity plays and stuff like that. But gotcha. Yeah, my first actual acting thing was probably Oliver. Yeah. Um, did you know then that's what you wanted to do, or is it something you had to like? Kind of like, I'm good at this, and let me develop it, or anything like that. I think it was at that stage. It was a, a realization that it was something I could do, something I enjoyed doing. I don't think when you're that young that you kind of understand the notion of of making something a career. You probably think, oh yeah, I, I want, you see the movies and you go, oh, yeah, I want to do that. But you don't. The 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 gap between you and you and doing it is obviously not quantifiable to a sort of seven eight year old. But I think that certainly sowed the seeds for me thinking, yeah, I want to be on stage and I want to be performing you know that was very much sort of ignited in me at that point yeah now like were your like family supportive of that idea or they hesitant like because so many parents are like going into the arts it's very risky versus a comfortable like or like a more of a surefire thing yeah yeah well my my dad has always been incredibly supportive because he he was an actor back in the 60s and stuff and he did things like the saint uh with with roger and uh and um and various other things i think he worked with judy dench at one point as well so uh but um yeah he he'd he'd, he'd done a, a bunch of work and and it'd sort of fallen by the wayside because he'd ended up he'd, with his first wife and, and had a child and stuff and it just wasn't sustainable but he um he was he's always and he still is very very um encouraging my mum i think my mum's very encouraging of me when it works when I'm when I'm being successful, she's very happy. I think when when I go through tough times, or you know, it's maybe you should look at doing other things. You know, I think I think she would she would, would rather I had more security financially. Mm. But I mean, you know, that and certainly in the early days, that's that was the case. But but she's very you know she's very supportive of of me pursuing my my kind of dreams. I suppose I think she she knows it's what I 
you know, it's what I have to do. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's just like their support, like it seems like your mom's a support up to a point, and then one starts to be like, push comes to shove. <laughs> rather, yeah. yeah, I got you. I, I think she's very much of the mindset of like, come on, when is this going to, when are you going to give up on this? You know, it's that sort of, where's your backup plan, you know? And, and whilst there's a lot of sense in that, um, I also feel like if you ha- if you if you've got a proper laid out backup plan, then you're kind of planning to fail, really. And right. I don't, I don't think you can you can think in those terms, but but she's yeah. I think you know mothers want security for their kids. That's you know natural, and, and I suppose that's where she's coming from. But uh, but she's I, I don't wish to paint her as a sort of tyrant. She's she's <laughs> she's she's supportive. It's just yeah. yeah yeah yeah. She'd rather it was. I think she'd rather I just I I hit the big time tomorrow and then she won't have to worry about me again right yeah. it's i'm not like like you're saying like she's not tired or anything i've just seen like a lot of like disney evil like stepmothers or something like there was something like like having like control over like no no nothing like that but i i understand no mama no she's not like that um, but I understand where you're coming from. That's why, like, I, I did a double major in film and broadcasting is that at least one thing is, is there would be at least an opportunity for me, like, doing stuff in TV work. Otherwise, if I can't do, like, my own film stuff, at least, and that's why my second job is I'm a editor for a company that edits, like, highlight packages for, like, the NBA, the NFL, and NHL. Well, that's and, a good gig. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just the... Crappy thing is right now, like this is the last week we're going to have the NHL since the uh, apparently the MLB, the baseball uh, league, um, said we can handle that workload too and gave a better offer yeah, to the NHL. Yeah. But we're still kept on retainer for like five years, so it's it seems like they don't know what they're getting into yet. So that's why they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you guys at arm's length if we need you. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. that today, today's going to be like my last like hockey shift. So I'm just like. Well, I guess it's uh, basketball and uh, whatever we got. Surfing? Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Curling. <laughs> um, curling or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've done curling, and I'm just waiting for, oh, like, I'm waiting for, like, cricket or, like, chess competitions to become very prominent at my job now. I don't, don't understand why it's called curling. I really think it should be called sweeping, because more sweeping takes place than, than curling. curling. No one's curling anything. It's just the big stone and sweeping. More sweeping. It, it was funny, uh, Friday night, my friends and I, like, go out because it was the only time, like, all three of us were, like, off, and we're like, sure, let's go, we go to the bar, and we're sitting at our table, and we're just looking, like, all, the, like, the, the screens are out, like, it's all curling, and then, like, one college game, like, whoa, it is really a slow night for sports, sports if we have curling on majority <laughs> of the screens in here. <laughs> I think curling probably gets a bad rap, but, you know, it is that thing of curling. Yes. You know, when you're like, what, what are you going to watch? Curling. Curling. Like, are you going to marathon bowling next? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you have any, like, formal training when you when you started pursuing the career in acting? Well, I I, I had, um, just, to, just to go back a little bit, I mean, I, I'd been to um, university in Norwich um, here and studied, you know, this is partly a backup plan, but I, it's actually come in very useful. But I, I studied literature and politics. And I have a degree in that. And I, I'd come out of university and then kind of got seg- sidetracked into starting bands with groups of friends. So I played in bands for sort of two or three years. And, you know, that was my creative focus. And, and whilst I was doing that, I started doing a day job because 
you know, bands don't really require you to be around in the day, in the week. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I was sort of doing a, a day job in, um, at one point I was doing it in a company that made film lighting, uh, and then they went bust. So I um, started working for a telecoms company, and actually, you know, I, I very quickly sort of progressed up the ladder there, but it was, it was kind of like I was building a huge career in something I really didn't want to do. Mm. Um, and then when I turned 25, I sort of had a quarter-life crisis, and I <laughs> thought, I've got, I've got to get back into acting. You know, my second band had sort of finished abruptly, and I was sort of fed up of other people ruining it for me, um, because you put in a lot of work and time and money, and, and as you do with acting, but, you know, with acting, it's kind of, you're the one who, you know, you, you've only got yourself to let down, and it's, it's you know, it's all up to you, so... Whereas with a band, one person can drop out and ruin the whole thing. So I, I thought, you know, I want to get back into that. And so I started doing um, evening classes down in London. Um, so I would work, you know, on Tuesday and uh, Thursday. I'd jump in the car after work and drive down to, to London and um, do these evening classes. And they were, in, and it was a funny, I mean, I, it was a, yeah, I don't know. It's one of, it was one of these, these acting classes that actually the, the classes themselves were quite good because it was about filming you. I really wanted to find somewhere where, you know, you'd be filmed and it was more about working on camera and everything. So I was doing that. But they, they also had this film in production uh, called Catherine of Alexandria, which I think has changed names a few times. But it, it is actually, it has actually been had some form of release and I think you can watch it in the States on Amazon or something. But anyway, it was long story short, that was a sort of Roman epic and they managed to get Peter O'Toole to sign up for it and Joss Ackland. Huh. And I think Edward Fox and stuff. Um, it turned out to be, uh, I got to watch myself here, probably less, um, than what had been advertised by the, the production team. And, one thing led to another. I, I had long since been fired, probably for asking too many questions. I'd been brought on. They, you know, they kept us on saying like, "Oh, you know, if you you know keep coming to the classes and, and we'll cast people from the classes." Mm-hmm. Um, but and then it was like, "Oh, and, and you can basically be runners, um, but then we'll use you as well in the film and all this kind of stuff." Which you know, to to a, a young naive twenty five year old me, that that sounded like you know my my ticket. Right, but um, of course, once the cracks started to show, I was kind of getting a bit sceptical, and and I'm not one for keeping my mouth shut, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. I think ultimately it served me well, but I I think I must have asked one too many questions, and they just sent me home for for the weekend, and then asked me not to come back. So, um, but then shortly after that happened, it all kind of fell apart. So the film, that film, took years for them to finish, and and it, it got sort of put out. I don't know what kind of quality it is, um, but uh, but anyway, it's it's done. But yeah, so I I was doing that as an actor course and since then i've kind of just trained in, in fits and starts i haven't done a any formal training insofar as i've not, I've not done a three-year course at any mm. of the big schools um i've i've not I, I don't have a diploma or anything in acting um but i i've studied bits of meisner bits of stanislavski um i'm i'm you know I, i'm very much my, my father's son in that regard you know i like to learn through doing right and um and and i and i cherry pick what is useful to me because i'd sort of started acting and I'll still do it. In fact, at the moment, I'm looking looking at possibly going and doing a course again because it's, it's it's really handy to have the experience of work of, of having done work and then seeing where your weaknesses are or where you think you might need some improvement and then you can go find a class in that and then you go do that, mm. you know. And then you just you just add to your tool bag or toolbox as you need it um, rather than you know being in a sort of cookie cutter system that it works fine for a lot of people and I don't mean to sort of to, to, to dismiss it, but for me, I just don't think going down that path of doing three years somewhere would have been necessary. Um, 
the stage I was at. But um, yeah, so that's kind of how I've done it. I've done it in a sort of patchwork way as I've, as I've gone through. It seems like you're very like pragmatic, knowing like, all right, like you're saying, I'm weak in this regard, but so I can work on that and rather just have this kind of blanket, like you were saying, a three-year course is like, all right, I'll do everything or something like that. You rather see mm. just like, all right, like, okay, like, like, like if I have trouble hitting my mark or something like that, go and learn to hit your mark a little bit better or what have yeah. you. Yeah, um, I mean, <clears throat> and I'm sorry, excuse me. No, I okay. also kind of really wanted to angle myself at film and, and most, most formal training here is geared towards the stage, which again is, is no bad thing at all. But, um, I just, I don't know. I had sort of, I felt like I'd kind of done stage stuff and I, and I just, I really wanted to, I just thought I, that's where I want to be. I want to be working on film and TV. And so, you know, those, those, those are harder areas to just do, you know, there's not very many amateur movie, you know, you get plenty of Amdram local stuff. So if you want to go and try your hand at acting on the stage, you can do that in an amateur capacity very easily, but doing mm. it for film is, is not, you know, no one makes a film just for to show their mum and dad. Well, some people do, but you know what I mean? No right. one's going to make a film to that kind of standard that, you know, is, it would count. So. so, yeah, so that's really, it was just about getting experience, really, in the medium and stuff, yeah. Like, because there's, there's very two different schools of acting when it comes to stage and film work, because the stage, you got to, everybody in the back row has to feel your emotions, mm. especially just as much as the people in the front row. Well, film acting seems it's, it's more internalized when versus like big external, like it's not as, or am, am I being too judgmental in, in that statement or? No, not at all. I, you're right. I think more, more so with film acting, you're, you're um you're doing less i mean doing less is something that um you know it again it depends if you're doing it for, even if you're doing it for tv versus a cinema release you know if you're doing it for cinema your your face is going to be gigantic so any tiny little thing in a close-up is going to give away too much and i think the less you can do the more you bring the audience with you so you know you understand what your character's function is in is in any given story if you understand that you internalize all of it of course but the more you can let the audience read that from you and think what you're thinking, because you don't have to telegraph everything. If you, you know, it's the, it's the old thing of show, don't tell, right? So like, mm. don't, don't tell them what you're thinking. They'll know what you're thinking because they're, they're paying attention, right? And they'll pay more attention if they have to be involved in the storytelling process themselves, rather than, um, you know, you being there and with your, you know, throwing crazy huge facial expressions to denote anger, mm. sadness. You know, <laughs> that's not what people do, is it? You know, I, it was funny. I've just been playing on it. There's a there's a there's a UK hospital drama called Holby City that I've been working on for the last week or so, and um, but most of it in in a bed, dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I was going through, you know, you, you scroll through Facebook, and then people put videos up, and someone put up a video of, of Robert De Niro doing it giving it's like robert de niro's advice to actors and it, it was it, it was his thing of like you know do less okay you don't need to do it. <laughs> pretty much what i just said you know like you know that's okay you don't don't do anything you know we're talking i'm talking i'm not doing anything you know and, and i was like yeah that about sums up my week it was like, <laughs> do less be dead or be in a coma you know it was like it was like joey from friends with this man is dead yeah but it's true you know i think that's 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 really screening and then with with stage um i mean i I did a play back in 2014 i did a play in the bahamas and it was a wonderful experience but it was outdoor theater and it was completely the opposite because 
you know, when you're outdoors, especially, you've got nothing. The sound is just going to go boof off into the ether. There's mm-hmm. nothing in that. There's no walls or ceiling to bounce it back down. So you've really got to throw it out there. And some of the emotions and some of the, the bits in it, I, I had to really, really change my way of thinking on because it, what, there were emotional beats in it and there were comedy beats in it. And it was like, you've really got to play them up. But still, it's funny, you know, you can still make them realistic and believable, but you do much more have to show the audience or, or tell the audience um, it, on stage. And I suppose because you're not in the environment, you know, when you're on stage, it's, it's a sort of make-believe set. It's mm. a suggestive set. It's not... When you're you, typically when you're doing film normally, unless it's sort of surrealism or something, you know, it's got to look like you're really there. Right. Um, so, you know, um, a lot of times the location and the costume and the setting will do the work for you on film, which it won't on necessarily on, on stage. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, again, it's about storytelling. I mean, I think, you know, having, like I said, I, having studied um, literature and everything, you know, it gives you much more of an understanding of the fact that, you, you know, you're your character has a function within the story. And if you understand storytelling, you know, you understand what a, a, a Machiavellian character is and what a protagonist is and what an antagonist is, you know, and, you, and as long as you understand that, 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 that your character has a function, then it gives you the key into all the, their wants and desires and objectives. And then, you know, and, and that's really, for me, that's, that's the, the important way to approach a character. And I think it, generally speaking, you know, when you're, cause Typically, as an actor, you know, if you're going for meetings and stuff with producers and, and directors, someone in the room at some stage is going to have written it. And if you can talk to them on their level about storytelling and, you know, your character's function, then I think that stands you in good stead for getting getting your foot in the door, you know. So, Rather than, yeah. like, I have my sides and I come up, I show up for this day and that's that. Yeah, sort of rather than trying to show off, you know, rather than trying to, here's what I can do, you know. It's like, no, 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 you understand, you know, sometimes... You don't need to do anything. Sometimes all, all, they, all they're interested in is, is, does he look right? You know, is he is he a part-time axe murderer? Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and do I like him? If he turns up and he's, and he's personable and he's all right and he looks the right... I mean, you know, I did, I did an audition for EastEnders where I was playing a doctor. Mm. You know, and I was 10 minutes down the road leaving there and my agent phones me up. Yeah, they want you for it. That's great. They said, you just you nailed it. You walked in and that was it, you know. And so, you know, and then other times you don't hear for weeks. And mm. just it. But, you know... Um, yeah, I think you just have to. It's it's all storytelling, isn't it? At the end of the day, and and um, you know any character has a function within that. I mean, you know, so um, I think that's the best way. Well, it seems to me anyway the best way to approach it. Right, and like I've you're probably saying, got off topic there. Sorry. No, it's okay. That's the, and like as long as you're like you're willing to talk, I'm willing to listen. I'm a good listener, so I'm just like, yeah. all right, yeah, you can just go on. <laughs> um, and it's like you're saying, like doing less, and like you're saying that scene in bed doing less or like being coma or being dead <laughs> yeah. so you do so less like is he is he awake right now i don't know Should is he we, breathing <laughs> yeah like yeah. Hold, hold the mirror under his nose oh he's breathing Whew, okay <laughs> he's he's really committed right here we were having so much fun on that because it's funny you know like you and i have this with richard and oliver you know you, the people the sort of you have your kind of reference buddies don't you so you, you can be in any room with any people and if you say something like i don't know usually it's something like from the simpsons so if you if you go like Dental plan, you know, someone goes, Lisa needs braces. Like, from the, and, and then, you know, and then you'll have that kind of. And we, me, we and a couple of the, the guys on that who were playing doctors trying to save my life, we're doing that. And before a take, you'd, I'd say something like, like I was lying under this blanket on the table with tubes in me and everything. And I just leant up before a take and whispered to one of them. I just went, There is another Skywalker. <laughs> and they were like, and they were like and action. And he was like, He was trying, I was bad. Like, it's really unprofessional. <laughs> but it was, it was, yeah, it was brilliant. It was really good fun. So. 
Uh, and like you're saying, like you reference buddies, and like it gets to the point, like <clears throat> you just start text messaging each other quotes from stuff or what have you. Like, yeah, yeah. like my friend like would come up to me and we would just quote the IT crowd at work all the time, uh, and, and it, it got to such a point that they stop uh, assigning us uh, next to each other at work. We're, we're, we're editing because we were just so rambunctious, uh, being loud and having fun when we're supposed to be working. We're like, yeah, we we got to separate you two. You guys, uh, you're a bit ridiculous like that. I'm like, all right, I guess that's how it goes then. Um, <laughs> um, like, you kind of touched on this, but like your feelings on method acting overall. Um, method acting is a, I, I suppose when people say method acting, they mean like specifically one method, like Stanis, Stanislavski or, yeah. or, you know, um, Meisner. I mean, I, for, for me, I suppose in theory, everyone has a method. You can't not have a method, even if that's just as simple as learning your lines. You know, there, there is always a method to doing acting work, but, um, I, I just, whatever works for you, you know, I mean, sometimes I think it's a bit absurd. You know, I've worked with people who've, who've been to, I did, I've done Shakespeare with people who've been to Lambda and Rada and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, been looked down on because I hadn't had that training and wasn't spending the first hour and a half, you know, yelling at the top of my voice and making animal noises or whatever. And, 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 and I, which I don't mean to, you know, that's fine. If that works for them, great. But I, I, I think method is fine when you understand, again, it comes back to me saying about how, you know, understanding where you need method and where you, you know, where you need to rely on your instincts more. And I think some people get far too hung up on the, the mechanics of getting to the getting you know getting to the performance rather than the performance and mm. i you know it's almost this sort of paranoid checklist of stuff they have to do before they can do it. you know it's almost like superstition rather than a method and i you know i i found with something like that yes it was really important to do a vocal warm-up and, and sometimes doing little group exercises is really good to just get everyone in a sort of collaborative state but by the same token you know i don't want to i don't know like i just don't want it to all be about method and not about performance because ultimately that's what the audience has to look at you know and and, and i i'm uh, it's bad like i mean I, I don't wish to be too cynical or skeptical about drama schools but i do think there's an inherent um drive to convince people that they need a lot of method because mm. it's what they're selling you know your, your classes and you know, stuff like that is what they're saying. It doesn't mean it's it's, inv- it's, it's, it's not valuable, but it, it's just, I think, you know, at the end of the day, an audience has to sit down and enjoy it. Right. And that's that's where you've got to get to, I, I think. So, But, but you know, method is fine. I think, we, I, mean, I suppose if you mean things like um, Daniel Day-Lewis walking around insisting everyone calls him Mr. President or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, he's Daniel Day-Lewis. That's, that's a different stratosphere. You know, that's someone who can, if that's his method, then that's what he's going to be catered to. And, mm-hmm. That's fair enough. Hey, look, look at his results. So that's exactly, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> it's like that, the legendary story of marathon man where, right, right, right. Dustin Hoffman saying, Oh, I stayed up all night to act tired on Lawrence Olivier saying like, sir, why don't you just act? Why don't you just act? Dear boy. <laughs> yeah, well, that was, that was, I mean, I've, I've seen it from, I've, well, I've, I'm sure you must have as well. Like the Dustin Hoffman side of that story, which was that he'd been, he was going through a divorce at the time or something, wasn't he? And he'd been out just drinking all weekend. And, and I yeah. don't think he'd actually done it as part of a method necessarily, but I think he'd sort of seen it as, oh, well, <laughs> I'm knackered and hung over. So mm. that sort of informs the character. And I think he just, he, I, th- I think Larry, as I understand it, Lawrence Olivier said that to him as a joke. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it was a sort of like, Jesus, like, why don't you just try acting? It'd be a lot easier, you know, as in, as in like, because you look like crap. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he meant it as a sort of put down of, of the method because no. Lawrence Olivier came from that background and the sort of Shakespeare the, the, the classical training the rather that's all that is method too you know, so. yeah. and, and if you look at those performances from both of them in that movie you like you can say like they both brought it in their own ways for oh, sure yeah. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and I, I mean that's like probably one of my favorite Dustin Hoffman movies like me too acting wise yeah yeah I love it I love it and yet like it's not, like oh it's not brought up in conversation like, like a long, a, uh, outside of like film and acting fans though. It's one mm. of those things. I mean, sure, it's a it's a thriller and it's and it's not like a big action movie or anything like that. It's it's this kind of like Hitchcockian story. Just it was it came it went like it had some great acting and, and, and like the steady cam was first like really big utilized in that and it's like oh really yeah, okay I didn't know that. Yeah, I think like it was like that around the same time they did Rocky as well, and like, those were like the first movies that Garrett Brown used a Steadicam on, and like from because I'm a big tech head, I'm just like ooh, like like oh, this is when they first started using cranes. Like I'll, I'll watch that just for the sake of that, and I'll just end up being engrossed in the story if mm. if the story works. Mm. Um, now you're saying when you like you, you turned 25 and you had a little bit of a kind of like you had moment of crisis it seems like (laughs) yeah (laughs) um do you remember what like the first like big acting job you had after that uh time well it was probably i mean i i so i turned let me try and remember this i turned 25 i would have turned 25 in in the um the when would it have been 2008 no 2009 Mm -hmm. 2009 sorry so yeah so it was around about yeah 2009 I um, I started acting classes, and then I, I, I sort of really considered my acting career to have started in 2000, at the start of 2010, because that's when I'd been fired and was back to square one with nothing, and I didn't have my job anymore, so I was kind of um, on my on my ass. Mm-hmm. But I started, I just thought, I, right, you know what, I'm going to spend the next year just getting work. I don't care what work it is, um, paid or unpaid, doesn't matter, let's just get as much footage and credits and just whatever i can get i'll do so that's what i did and i did something like 16 films um but the the biggest gig was kenneth i i got that in june or I, we filmed it in june of of 2010 so i i had a big i probably that's i probably never worked as much as i did in my first year in terms of like but it was all sort of a lot of it was hit and miss but it was all shorts and student films and stuff like that and then yeah the big one was, was sort of kenneth so it was a big a big uh, trial by fire, I suppose, my first year. But um, but yeah, that would have been that. And, I, and I, when I said moment of crisis, I did not mean to put that down or anything like that. No, no, no. no, no. I, I'm just saying that I said that back to myself, like, oh, I sound like such a douchebag with that. No, no, no. I, I called it, as I said, it's my, my quarter life crisis. Right. To borrow, to borrow a lyric from John Mayer, I think. <laughs> That's what um, I Now, like you're saying when you're doing shorts and student films, is there? Do you approach that material differently versus a feature versus a play? It, it all comes down to, um, like I say, a character's function. So with Kenny, that was I mean, all, all the other shorts I'd done. I'd, I'd, I think, with the exception of one or two, I'd, I'd been cast as the, the lead role. Um, but with with a feature specifically, if you're the protagonist, and this is something I was kind of aware of, and then certainly. Whilst we were filming, I was very aware of it. You don't, you know, your your function within the story is is very much obviously to be the eyes of the audience. But 
also you know you're just reactive a lot of the time you're not you're not a uh a, um proactive yeah you're not well yeah i mean because people but it, what's you know you're, you have to be accounted for for every moment of that journey mm-hmm. you've got to be accounted for because it's all about the choices you make as a, as a protagonist so you know it, it, the, the fun parts are the characters that get to come in and effect, like the goblin or or, or or peter you know um uh, the tramp you know mm. they, they get to come in and they get to mix things up and mix his life up and throw it into chaos and then then ultimately the this, this story is about what he does with that and what he decides to do and does he decide to be proactive and improve his life or does it you know and, and be a sympathetic protagonist or not and so um you know I, I sort of got that i mean i read it and again i think that's why they wanted me for it because i kind of understood that that was his function and that ultimately it was it was about being at the stage of life i was at which was a sort of a real fork in the road and and deciding to be responsible and grow up or not you know um so um but i think you can you can apply that criteria to anything i mean even when i've done plays and stuff it's like what is my function in this you know if it's if it's not to be the the protagonist then it's to be someone to come in and affect the protagonist and in what way and what are you going to do to them that puts them in a position to have to do something you know to to make a choice ultimately so you know, um, but I think no. I, I think it, the, the the approaching the character is, is the same for anything, um, mm-hmm. whatever medium it's on. And like, say, say if you have like, if it's a short and you have reduced um, number of pages of how much character stuff or how much plot stuff you have to interact with, do you end up asking the director or the writer more questions to find out more of who this person is in their eyes, so you can bring that to life more, or is it like, all right? I had these X amount of pages. I'm just going to live within those X amount of pages. I think, well, typically what I'll do, and I mean, this isn't, it's not a hundred percent conscious decision, but I, I've, what I've tended to do is, you know, I'll have ideas and I'll write them down and it depends what kind of director you're dealing with and what kind of, how you've been brought onto the project. And if they are someone who wants to sit and chat with you about it or not, sometimes they're not, you know, but I'll, I'll typically, you know, I'll have, and it depends on the size of the part, but you know, I'll turn up with a load of ideas and I'll say, well, look, what's evident in the script is that he's doing this, this and this, you know, um, which dictates that, that and that. And I, you know, I, that therefore I'm assuming that he's had this kind of backstory and blah, blah, blah. And does that work for you and everything? And, but I mean, a lot of time, especially on film and certainly TV, it's like, usually they expect you to have done all that work and to mm. turn up with a performance. That's why they've cast you, you know, that's, um, that's why casting is so important in film and TV because there isn't the time. There just isn't time to do all that. I mean, like the shoot we, I was doing yesterday, we didn't. There was one scene we didn't get, so we've got to go back and do it. And that wasn't because, you know, it was just because of factors of where of the location we were shooting. It was it was you know, no one's fault, but it's just. Um, so, you know, you just you know unless unless something is glaringly wrong on screen, right? Then um, to, usually, you know, I, I'm. I'm quite happy or confident in making my own choices about all that. Um, and some of them, sometimes I'll run them by a director just to give him a bit of confidence, just to let him, oh, sorry, him, him or her, to right. let them know that I've thought about these things, you know, because sometimes that's important. But you've got to gauge it, because sometimes if they're rushing around and tearing their hair out, you just think, okay, I'll leave them, <laughs> I'll leave them to it. Because they'll probably come up to you before the take when you're blocking the scene out, and you can discuss things then, you know, and then, then you just get on with it, you know, so, but... Uh, but I mean, like stage work tends to be actors. Uh, sorry, directors want to um, want to discuss things a lot more in depth. 
mm. uh, because the rehearsal process is so much longer by necessity. So um, you usually get more time like that. Yeah, but uh, but no, normally normally I'm I'm quite happy with. The, I, I try and make sure I'm happy with the choices I've made for a character. It's like they say I casted you. I didn't cast the person on the page. I mm. like it. like some people. It seems like I want to see what you bring to it. Mm, yeah which is valid you know that's perfectly fine and i think as an actor you've got to be ready to you know just as much as directors would say i suppose that they have to adapt to what kind of actor they cast i think certainly actors have to be ready to adapt to what kind of director you're working with because some directors don't want to have any involvement with your performance i think ridley scott typically is someone who's not you know fussed (laughs) well he's fussed but no it doesn't you know on the day doesn't really get too involved with the performance side of it because he figures, well, I've cast you, so now it's up to you to do the job. Um, I'm I'm busy making sure that the big alien looks like a big alien, you know. Mm. So, um, so I think you know that's that's just part of the sort of reciprocal thing that you have with a with a director is that you have to kind of understand what kind of director they are and what they're going to want, and um, and turn up prepared. Uh, so, it's uh, like like Ridley's like, I got four moving cameras right now. I have to worry about that, so they don't like like somebody doesn't see each other at that that moment like mm-hmm. i just want you to perform but and do you find that somewhat alienating as an actor like if you're <laughs> unsure like like um i Pun could intended. use it oh <laughs> yeah, sorry shit and i'm i and i'm <laughs> And I'm the I'm the worst like uh, person when it comes to puns because I'll just make puns out of anything, even in the worst <laughs> situations too. Uh, I'm like uh, like somebody like a friend of mine got hurt and I made a joke a pun about like how he got hurt like minutes after hearing about it and like friends were like that's kind of messed up but like it got you it made you laugh didn't you? Yeah. Um, what we were saying, do you feel? I guess it, it depends on the part that you like. I'd want some direction here, not just like show up on the day, make sure I hit my mark and say these lines. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I usually, usually, and this is, you know, no matter how good the script is, there'll be a bit of dialogue or something that I'll want to change. I mean, mm. like last, yesterday, just as a recent example, you know, I had, there was a line in there that I, just didn't read right when I said it out loud. So I just, I asked the director, I said, look, does it, does it make more sense if I say it like this? Because, and, and you know, Brad, who was the director on that wonderful guy, um, very collaborative, very nice. He was like, yep, yeah, hundred percent. You know, and he's, what's great is when you've got a director who's going to engage with you. It, and it's, and it's so difficult because I know, because he's got three other, four other departments all going at him asking him questions. And there's you going, can I just say, can I say this instead of that? And he's, you know, and, and he's got to, but you know, he, to his credit, you know, he was able to stop, think, look at the situation and go, yeah, or no. You know, he's very good at making decisions on the hoof like that, mm. um, but engaging with everyone. And um, But it was day one of his shoot, so we'll see how he does by the end. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, I, yeah, I typically will have quite, you know, things I, 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 I think may need changing or may just, may just work better. But, you know, at the same time, I have to be prepared for them to turn around and go, no, I think you should do it exactly like it is on the page. But normally they don't. I mean, most, most directors are understand that you know there's a little bit of of um creaking room shall we say with a script and, and you know as long as you're not changing it so that like aliens come down and invade <laughs> the whole thing when that wasn't in the script then well, you know i don't think they have a problem with it. it's did you ever see a movie called living in oblivion no, no. it's steve buscemi trying to make an independent movie work 
and it's the same like like it's same scenario played out three different times in three different scenes and how it's like what could go wrong on a film shoot does including they hire a big star who knows he's a big star and admits like does a few takes of one scene. It's like, can I change this line? Can I change this line? And Steve Buscemi being kind of like the up-and-coming director is like, yeah, yeah, sure, you could do it. And then do another take. Like, all right, we'll break. They come back. He's got an eye patch on. I think the character needs an eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> and it just gets yeah. more and more ridiculous as it goes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think stuff like that. It's like... And I hope I never, you know, I, I never get to the stage where I am so self-indulgent that I will insist on making wacky, stupid changes. You know, I think if you sign on for a project, you, you, you've got, your responsibility is to have read the script, understood the script, and decided whether or not that's something you want to sign up to. To sort of go in and then start going like, ah, he's going to be a pirate, you know, <laughs> for this, for this, uh, you know, I don't know, Antarctic film. Um, it's, it doesn't, you know. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense you know and you've got to you know and why would you want to make some like compromise a film in that way that's going to be your face on it ultimately and um i don't know like sometimes i think i, I don't know if that's truly representative of what goes on um because i've not seen that yeah but, uh, but i know what it's like well, certainly when people will be miscast in films like you see it a lot of time where you've got a low budget film and they and they'll spend probably 60 to 70 percent of the budget just getting a name Right, and they're desperate to get a name because they want to give the project some some clout, and but that, they'll end up miscasting someone ter- terribly just to get a name into the film, and, and oftentimes it, and it's probably not that actors, it's not it's not their fault, but it's just a case that they're not right for the part, and they end up, you know, you end up with a really compromised work, and the rest of the film looks bad because they didn't have the money to spend on it. That's mm-hmm. typically why, you know, UK movies are, are horror films because we we struggle to get money together and horror films don't usually require a big star they're the one sort of genre where you can get away with with unknowns because it's more about the concept of the horror rather than the 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 people in it you know it, it seems like that like coming out of the uk it seems like for the longest time it was horror movies and like british crime movies after yeah, the success yeah, of guy guy ritchie kind of rejuvenating films, yeah, yeah. You know, with alan ford yeah. <laughs> Yeah. God, he's a nice guy. I met him. He's a lovely fellow. Oh, that's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I like Bricktop for those of you who don't know Bricktop from Snatch. I'm sure many of you've seen that. Um, yeah. He's, in the he's quiet, <laughs> in the quiet words of the Virgin Mary, come again. Come again. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, thank you, like... Turkish. I'm sweet <laughs> enough. He he. You know he talks like that, and he has the glasses. He wears those big deep. He's got the big you know bottle. No. Glasses, but. And, and he's just nice as pie. Like he, he's, he's chatted to me for a while. We had the launch of a trailer that, for a film I did with him, and he was like, "So, did you train?" I was like, "Yeah." And I was chatting <laughs> to him about my training and the people we knew. Yeah, yeah, really lovely guy. Mm. Ah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, but like you were saying, going back, <laughs> I know we've gone on many tangents, but going back to your saying, yeah, like, whenever I. Uh, it's okay. Um, when um, going when I whenever I'm writing something because I usually write my own material, mm. I only I, I succinctly or try to anyway describe a person and like say like all right at least they're male and female and some kind of one characteristic. Anything else, I'll let the actor bring something to it because I'm just like, like I know like, at least I got a feeling for it, but I'm also willing to listen to ideas and same thing with my dialogue like i'm not the greatest of dialogue i maybe i, I could have maybe one or two witty comments mm. but if like is 
if the actor's willing to like, hey, I have an idea of how to punch this up, as long as it keeps the same intention, mm. I'm fine for it. Rather than just like, like, well, you're kind of taken away from your objective at this part of the scene. Yeah. Uh, that that that's the problem. Like, uh, that I am a little standoffish about. Yeah, of course. Well, again, it comes back to understanding the role of your character in any, you know, the the, the story, and and I, I think. Um, because if you understand that, then you understand their objectives, and then you understand that you know, and you work backwards from there. And I, and I, and I you know, to sort of go in and I, you know, I've worked with a lot of actors who just think in terms of moments. So they're like, oh, it'd be amazing if there's a moment where we have a standoff, and I say this, and you say that, and it's all very good in your face. And you go, yeah, that's great, but what what purpose is it serving? Is it serving? You know, it comes back to this, the whole kill your darlings thing. It's like, does what use is that? You may love it, but. Because it shows you in a great light, but what's that got to do with the story, you know? And and I, it's just, I guess, you just got to be a bit humble, you know, as an actor, and understand that you're part of, you're a cog in a machine, you know. And I think the more time you spend on a production, the more time you spend on a film, and you see those cogs turning, you see the amount of people it takes just to get the cameras there, the sound equipment, and all that stuff, and the lighting, and the trucks, and the god knows what else, for you to then get on that that location or that set and sort of start acting like you're more important than any of this and you've, there's time to waste and stuff is ridiculous. It's you, you, you know, yeah, you're important because otherwise the camera's looking at a wall, but <laughs> that's, you, you're not more important than any of the other stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, and, and I, you know, I, I don't know. I think the people who understand that are the ones who go really far, you know, people like Tom Hanks or people like, you know, the people at the, the very top are not hard to work with. No, you know, they don't get that there by being hard to work with. I think they're, they're you know, they're easy to work with. I think Josh, Josh Brolin said it on Inside the Actor Studio. He said, you know, it, it gets easier as, as as you move up the tree. You know, the the bigger the directors and everyone aren't hard to work with. They're easier. And he said it should be that way. Shouldn't be the other way around. Yeah. You know? So so fair enough. Yeah. Like it's like I can just see it like on a student film or a short, like a really curmudgeon director just like throwing up his hands saying, like, this is not exactly what I wanted. This is not how it is. And it's, you kind of stand there like, what do you want me to do? Tell me. Help me get that to you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to be able to communicate, I think, as a director and and, um, and really know, you know, it, it's a, it is a balancing act. I mean, you're 100% right. And I think you've got a good attitude of some, like, you know, here's the script, here's, here's the story I want to tell, um, you know, and, and as long as we're telling that story, then let's, 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 let's throw up ideas and let's, let's work within that, you know. Because um, I think that's the worst thing is when you get on a, a film and you've got a director who's, because I've been there, I've certainly been short films and stuff, but you've got someone who's promising the world and totally under-delivering, mm. you know, and, and, you know, they're not, they're sort of compromising and compromising and not, uh, you know, not making proper decisions and being poorly organised, and, and then you end up with something that's kind of like you know you're onto a loser. They're not going to have the confidence in it when it's done, so it's not going to go anywhere. No, you know, they're not going to be confident in pushing it out to festivals and showing it to people. Um, and your face is going to be on a bad thing, but you've still got to put the work in. You mm. know, and that that's the worst. I, you know, that, those sort of it's it's about keeping everyone's passion up. I think ultimately through through being passionate yourself. Yeah, you know. it's like um. Like if, like Francis Ford Coppola, if he didn't have passion for Apocalypse Now, that movie would not have been made. Oh God, can you imagine? Yeah, right. And I mean, it's something that I think Mick G said in an interview that he watches in the Heart of Darkness, the documentary that his wife made about the making of that movie before mm-hmm. he makes every movie, because to say what could be going like some stuff are going on wrong right now, 
but it's better than what's going on, what happened with Apocalypse Now, like the military taking back their helicopters mid-shot to go fight the gorillas up north, and you're just like, all right, I guess we're done for the day. Yeah, right. And, like, we we got two shots. All right, I guess we'll... And then the monsoons and all that stuff. Um, what would you say was, like, the best short film we worked on, and conversely, what was the worst one? If you, if you don't want to drop names, that's fine, but at least we'll <laughs> talk about the experiences about it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to name and shame. I, I've worked on, I, I worked on a, a short film um, that it was when was it? It must be two, 2011, I think it was. And um, it was two two lads asked me to come along and meet them in a pub and have a chat about a film. And, and they, you know, they were billing it as a short film. Now, the amount of people who've, I mean, I don't, I just don't do them anymore. But the, the amount of people you should say, oh, come do my short film. It's going to festivals and it's going to do this, it's going to do that, and then you get there and you, you basically find out as a student. Film. Mm-hmm. Um, they try and disguise that as far as they could, but um, you know, there's only so far you can do that. But I went and met these two lads, and I sort of enjoyed the script. And and then I, I as 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 the sort of time went on, I was like, this is it was like a World War Two thing, and it was quite ambitious. And then I found out not only were they not students, but they were in sixth form, so they were like seventeen, eighteen, so they weren't even at university yet. And I was going, oh god. No. and I'd already sort of said I'd do it and I thought oh no <laughs> and, then, um, and then I turned up on the day and they had two two actors um, in fact one of them was in The Danish Girl recently um, really with a really good part yeah and I, and I, I haven't seen the film yet um, but my friend Alex was in that he's a very he's got a brilliant look for film on camera and he speaks fluent German and French the git so he's <laughs> <laughs> he's like you know it's amazing um, but um, yeah, he was he was on that playing playing a German playing a Nazi, and it was a really really great and and you know we were filming and they were filming using a fig rig you know like it just looks like a, a steering wheel with a camera yeah. in it but and and we got we got the and you know they managed to go and get all these costumes and they got authentic guns and, and all this sort of stuff and I was like oh this isn't too bad and then when I finally saw the film it was brilliant and it ended up in my I went in my showreel and everything I was playing an American um, GIs. And it was great, and it was really, really good. And they won lots of little awards at various little things um, around Cambridge. But I was like, hats off to them, you know, these two guys. And it really made me realise that it's got nothing to do with, you know, um, age and stage necessarily. If you're passionate and you're switched on and you know what you know what you want and you, and you know how to get it and you've done your homework, then doesn't matter who you are you know you can make a you can make a cracking little film so that was that another film i did a short film um uh, well it's i think i think the trailer is online somewhere but it was a it was a film it was a it was a gangster film and the guy we met up with this guy and i think he'd already cast us i don't think that we had to audition but he he, he got us into we met up in a pret somewhere in you know, a coffee shop somewhere and he, he showed us a previs, which I'd never really had before, a big 3D previs of this scene and how it was going to go and how he wanted the camera to come through the window of a really you know, high-rise building and go and then end up on someone's face blowing smoke in the camera. And, stuff. and I was oh. like, wow, this is, this is impressive. You know? I was like, huh, brilliant. And, and he'd managed to get a big like warehouse thing for us to shoot in, and I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. And it was dreadful. I mean, we got there on the day. One of the actors had refused to turn up, probably because he was clairvoyant and had seen, you know, what was, <laughs> what was what was in store for him. And it was just terrible. It was really, really bad. And it ended up he put some weird filter over it, so it all looked messy and cartoonish and weird. And 
ah, it was dreadful. It was just really, really bad. And I don't think it went anywhere. You know, he didn't. It's, it's well, it hasn't because that was that was years ago. So, um, so you know, again, that's an example of someone promising the world and, and not delivering it. Um, and I think it's much better as a, as someone if you you know know what kind of film you're going to make, know where you want it to go. And if it's simply a passion project, or if it's if it's you know with a view to just making a, a name for yourself, then just call it that. That's what it is. Most actors will be fine with signing on for that because most of us just want to do some work. Mm. so um yeah yeah um it's it's funny like it seems like he put more of his effort into the previs and getting that warehouse than actually making a good story that's it yeah oftentimes you get these sort of um uh, desktop commandos as i call them people who just want to sort of scurry out of their bedroom collect footage and they don't really care what it's of and then scurry away back in so they can just assemble it um, <laughs> uh, and, and it's like films don't work like that you know, but they don't they don't get that they're just into the tech side of it and they think well I've got to make something you know so I guess I'll write this and they don't they have no experience in writing either you know and, hmm. and then you end up with this sort of self-indulgent project that doesn't achieve what they want or what you want you know um, but uh, he got he got a, like a wrestler from he, he was British but he'd been in I don't know if it's WWE or what it was, but he, I think what was his name? Steve Lewington? Steve Lewington, I think. He's a oh. wrestler. Yeah. Oh, he sounds very familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crap. He looked like an action man. He took his shirt off at every opportunity. Uh, of course. Opportunity, when he was getting changed, to be fair. But he, <laughs> I was like, you bastard. You know, he was like hewn from granite. You know, he was just this ridiculous <laughs> thing. And I was like, oh, I wish I looked like that. But then, probably not. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think my girlfriend <laughs> would go for that. But yeah, it was like, and they got him along for it as well, you know. But it was just not to be shame, you know. But good, good people on it, just you know, wasn't what uh, it said on the tin, right? And at least like how whenever I'm like when I'm doing my breakdowns for a script and like how I do my preparations, like I'll look at the scenes and I'll just assign an objective to each line of dialogue, or not, or at least like what like that person's trying to do. Do you do anything similar? How do you do your breakdowns when you... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I work. My friend Craig Pinder, who's, who's um, long story short, is just a, a, a very old family friend from the Bahamas. He's a, he's a classically trained RADA actor. And he went, uh, he did, he was in the original cast for Les Mis and Mamma Mia. Um, and he, very much stage orientated, but his, you know, we, I've worked with him on scripts before and that's, we'll always assign a, an, a, a, um, an, ab, an adjective to, to every, you know, a, a doing word to every mm. line of dialogue. So in other words, you know, what are you doing with this line? Cause that, and that's a very Meisner thing, actually, is that every line is, is you've got to think about it hitting the person you're saying it to and doing something to them, and you have to understand what it is you're doing. Um, I don't, I must confess, always break every script down into that kind of minutiae sometimes if i'm struggling to get the script then i will but usually my instinct when i'm reading it is what i rely on and i'll jot notes on it but generally speaking if the script's really good you get it you know you just get it you get what your function is you get what and that just tells you exactly what you need to in order to say it you know it's like my line is go 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 i think i know what i need to do for this line here yeah. Or something like Sh- that. Something Christopher Walken. <laughs> go, go, go. go. <laughs> yeah. Oh God! I mean, <laughs> he, it's it's weird, like how he enunciates certain like phrases or certain lines of dialogue. It almost seems like he could change the adjective to each scene or something, like, or what whatever line it is, 
like you, if you look at like I, I, like the Sicilian scene in True Romance, mm. that he seems very welcoming, but he's also very threatening too. But he doesn't seem he doesn't show his hand till the very end, of course. Right, right, right. Or but it's like that un- in- unhingedness. It's, I mean, you, you, I wish I could get away with it. You know, it's people. Uh, we're, we're running out of actors like that because I can't go to an audition and and be you know being in Sicilians are great liars the best in the world <laughs> you know you can't do that because well obviously you can't do that because people just stop doing it but it, you know you can't go and have this crazy style because everyone wants naturalistic everyone wants and that's fine but it's like we're running out of those performers you know those people who do their thing you know there's there is obviously the Walken thing and when it's gone it's gone and I don't know that there's there's really that many people now who who probably because not not through any fault of their own, but no one's sort of able to make those those sort of choices anymore. So, um, but he, yeah, I mean, that, the the great madness about that character, that unhinged side, is what is so threatening about him because he's being nice, but the whole like you know him telling him a story and and it's all coming over really weird. It's something not right. There's something not right, you know, and it's uh, it's fantastic. He's, he's you know he's, he's magnetic to watch in any season. And he, he has, like, so much confidence in whatever scene he's in. Even in bad movies, mm-hmm. he has the utmost confidence and he commits to it. Yeah. And, and I, like, since we're talking Walken, can you choose, can you pick your favorite Walken performance? Oh, uh, I don't know. You know, he's very good in um, Man on Fire. I know that's a really random thing to pick, but he's got... There's some lovely little scenes with him in that, possibly because he's, he's not carrying the film, but he's, you know, he's... Um, uh, Denzel Washington's contact, isn't he, or whatever? And mm-hmm. uh, where where are they? Mexico? No, I can't remember. Mexico City, I think. It is Mexico City, yeah. Um, and um, and there's some really lovely little moments in there, knowing moments, like when he's talking to him on the phone, and he knows he's hurting, and he knows he's probably looking at a gun, whether or not he's going to kill himself, and he's just mm-hmm. got this smile, and he's, you know, and he's like, sorry, I know, I'm here, and it, I don't know. There's just some really, really lovely moments in there, but I, I don't know. I mean. True Romance is a great performance, obviously. Again, it's it's very much a scene written for those two people yeah. to be in the middle of the film, and it's it's kind of the part of the film that everyone remembers now. But it's it's not a, it's only a small part of the film. Um, but he's he's great in you know, I mean Deer Hunter, obviously, um, and then in more recent times, like some of the silly comedies he's done, like Joe Dirt. I know that film gets <laughs> a lot of a lot of flack, but I love his sort of you know you know he's, it's the wrong he's tone. Talking, yeah, talking <laughs> all wrong. It's the wrong tone. Talk to me like that again. I stab you in the face with a soldering iron. You know, and he's, <laughs> he's just talking trash to the fire extinguisher in the hall. Like, you know, and he's like trying, he's really badly trying to disguise the fact that he's an ex-mob boss. He's like, he's like, my wife shot six times. New York City. Kansas. I mean Kansas. He's like, what? Here, born and raised. But not here. He's <laughs> like... Oh, <laughs> uh, and it's uh, I remember I uh, my friend does a really good Peter Griffin impression. I do a terrible walking impression, and then I, I remember most of the lines from like his one scene in Woody Allen. Like sometimes driving down the road, I like to turn the wheel into <laughs> oncoming traffic, see what happens. <laughs> and he's, he's he's doubled over laughing, but and. I think I think his strongest performance is probably uh, the Dead Zone. Sure, that's him uh, okay. center stage, and mm-hmm. he only has one like two like quote unquote like walk in moment is like the ice is gonna break, and <laughs> I don't know good. why. I just love how he like I was saying he commits to it regardless of how silly the line may be. 
Mm. But it's a it's a it's a bold choice. It's a great choice, and I think so much now actors make make choices more out of fear than it, you know. It's more like oh, oh you know this has to look real and it has to look you know. I mean, I guess I suppose you only have to look at the way the Oscar nominations go, or just you know award nominations in general. I mean, things like The Revenant now is all about more, it's more an endurance test than it was a, a performance, perhaps. But um, you know, performing is 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 more derided and it's more about living or being you know um which is again it's a bad thing i don't mean to criticize it but it's kind of it's just the shift has moved that way Um, yeah and like what was it like my girlfriend and i saw the revenant last night movie ends and she's like that was really good i'm like it was okay and she's like what do you mean by okay and i'm like well leo should get she says leo should get an oscar i'm like well if you're being paid the amount he is I think we can throw some dirt on you and snow and have you crawl around and it would be looking convincing. Not to take anything away from that. I'm just saying Tom Hardy had a better performance because he performed. He told stories in the midst of that movie. Leo just had to look hurt and breathe heavy into a microphone on set. And then when he looped his dialogue later, I don't know. I just feel like Leo's done better work. I don't know why everybody's talking up this movie, but that's my revenant rant there. Yeah, I, I, ha- I haven't seen the film, but I, I mean, it's that thing of I, uh, quite often what people win Oscars for isn't what they've won an Oscar for, if that makes sense. It's like Training Day for Denzel, um, crazy, crazy, less so, but Crazy Heart for Jeff Bridges. You know, you kind of feel like they're giving, it's like they, the year they should have won was two years ago or whatever, and now they have to go right. to them for something else. But, you know, I mean, look, Leonardo DiCaprio is obviously a, a very talented guy. I think a lot of the emphasis is put on Oscars, on the Oscars. Though. I mean, I don't think Leo, in his, you know, spends much time thinking about it. I think he's probably not like, oh, my career isn't, isn't going anywhere unless I get an Oscar. I think he's just very happy to be working on mega, mega films and picking and choosing big projects to work on. And that's, that's reward enough, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. God, I'd it, be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it seems like like it's the John Wayne True Grit scene or like experience. Like they gave an Oscar for John Wayne because he's never got an Oscar and he's an icon of American cinema. We had to give it him somewhere, so we're like we'll be a little lenient on this movie. It oh. seemed like. Um, what, but going back to like we're saying, preparing for a role. Um, mm. I, yes, <laughs> like I'm as just as guilty as you, so don't feel too bad about that. Um, what are your feelings when it comes to physical, like making an action physical, whether it be making coffee in a scene or walking from point A to point B? Does that help you, or do you think you're just like, oh, I'm just got, I got to hit this mark, and you're concentrating on that more than hitting, trying to convince, get your objective in that scene? Well, what do you mean? Do you, do you, do you mean like, do, do I concentrate on the doing of stuff like that, or um, do you think I mean, it? Go on. Sorry, go. On. I don't know. It seemed like it seemed like. Do you think that's distracting, or do you think it helps your performance? Uh, it, I, it depends on the scene. I mean, I, I um, you've got a block, so you've got to know where they want to put the camera and where you know focus pullers happy you know they'll want to see the action so but i mean i think if i'm walking across the 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 room and making a cup of coffee then i i need not to think about the doing of that obviously i have to hit a mark so that everyone's happy with where i am but i but no i mean i don't tend to put too much emphasis into um i've tried it you know i've tried it in the past there's been times when i sort of thought i've had lots of time before a scene because they're waiting for the clouds to go over or something and i'm like well i'm going to walk across this courtyard like like 
Al Pacino, or I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really think about how I'm gonna do this. And invariably, you watch it back on camera and go, uh, yeah. I mean, and the audience probably doesn't pick up on it, but I'm going, oh no, you know, I I put far too much thought into that. Sometimes when you're gonna do something, you just have to do it. You mm. know, if you're gonna go make a cup of coffee, then go make a cup of coffee. There's right. nothing more required of it than that, unless you're playing a quadriplegic, in which case, yeah, yeah you probably have to do it a different way. But, you know, so, um, no, I, I don't think I do. I don't think I do think about it too much. Um, and your feelings on, like, extensive blocking, like, if there's a lot of blocking, like, do you like to have the blocking down? Like, say if you had a long rehearsal time for a movie or a play and blocking's down 100%, do you prefer that? Or do you prefer, like... From a scene by scene basis. Um, well, typically, in my experience anyway, in, in, in film is, is always that blocking just sort of happens. If you're on location anyway, blocking happens kind of on the day at the last minute, yeah. and that's fine. I'm fine with that. Um, with plays, obviously, blocking is, is usually much more important because you've got to make sure no one's masking anyone who's going to be upstage, downstage, blah blah blah. So, and actually, I find that very helpful in line learning as well because if I can put an action to a line, it really cements it in my head. So, if I know where I've got to be in relation to it, I'm, I'm terrible with my line learning. I'll, I'll still be on book two days before the, the opening. Usually, mm. if, especially if I'm a lead role, especially if I was doing Shakespeare. God, that was difficult. Um, <laughs> we did Measure for Measure. I had the lead in that. I played the Duke. And it was like, oh, God. Because there's no improv in Shakespeare. It's like you no. have to do everything. But once I was on the stage and I had people around me and I knew that, okay, that's when I say that and that and that and that. And that. Um, it's fine. And I always get it. I, I don't know why. Come to dress rehearsal, come to tech rehearsal, I'm fine. Mm. Uh, and it's really bizarre. I don't know how it happens. But, um, but you yeah, know, blocking, I mean, is... The stage is something that's vital and has to be done and has to be down um, uh, with with some wiggle room, but generally speaking, it has to be pretty spot on. Um, with films, yeah, it has to be spot on, but it's it's something you can work out on the day, and it can and it and the performance can di- or often does dictate how it goes. You know, so uh, um, it's finally we're saying like having trying to being off book and everything like that. And I remember. Because I took an acting class, because I went to uh, like a two-year college before going on, transferring up to a four-year college, and I took an acting class in, in the two-year college. Hmm. And final project, it was the memorizing a scene from a play. It was roughly about ten minutes. And like I was doing the scene, and like Kyra was supposed to say, like, no, 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 a few times, and I'm supposed to walk over to explain why I want him to do it this way. I'm doing that, moving from one side to the other, and the director stops me, and, he, and I'm like, what, what I do? He's like, he says no three times, not four, and I'm like, okay, all right, I'll make sure to be exactly how how it was on the page. That's how he wanted it, and I'm like, all right, fine, let's see how it is. Um, and then and later, when we were doing the class, like we're supposed to, like I have supposed to chuck a beer can off stage um, at crickets that are like annoying me, and I kind of like since it was just the class, I kind of threw it into the back of the auditorium, but it's a little bit of an amphitheater. So I threw the can, boom, into the, into the class, and then here, roll, 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 land, rolling, 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 land, as it rolled down <laughs> the stairs down as the stairs. scene went on. And it, just, it was just loud enough for people to be like, that's, that's still going on right there. And it was a little <laughs> embarrassing on my part. Um, your feelings on doing really long takes, does it, is it helpful, or do you prefer to break up a scene over several different shots? Oh, it, it depends on the scene, you know. Um, mm. 
that's uh, yesterday. Well, yesterday, the last scene we were shooting yesterday, for for example, because it's fresh in my mind, was was a long scene, and it was led by me. It was me basically turning up as a policeman um, and uh, approaching a gang under a big overpass, and and sort of chewing them out and and telling them they shouldn't be there, and they had two young kids with them, and I have to get the two young kids in the police car and drive off. But it was all led by me. All the dialogue was led by me. You know, everything is um, me. I'm, I'm the, the antagonist, essentially, of the situation. So it was like, that's really hard because there's nothing to cue you for a lot of your lines. So you've just mm. got to remember the pace of the scene and, and, and everything. Um, but, um, so, and we were covering it generally in one take because we had a, um, is it a Jericho rig, which is kind of like a steady cam, but it doesn't, you don't, the, the camera doesn't wear a, a harness or anything, which must be right. horrible for their back. But anyway, so they'd be using that and then also shoulder rig. Um, so he was just kind of going around and finding the um, the the action, and then there were a few reverses and close-ups and stuff like that. But generally, you know, it was, it was sort of fairly fluid camera movement. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so we were kind of getting it all. Each take was a whole go through of the scene, um, but it suited the scene. I mean, it worked quite well. Sometimes, sometimes you need to do it in little fits and starts. Certainly, action. You know, when I've worked on action and stuff like that, it's always been fairly. Uh, it broken up because just for safety issues and, and all that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just it, what, whatever works, you know, I mean, your job as an actress to turn up and know, know what you're doing for the day. And sometimes you learn, you find out in the morning, but you need to still be, you know, still know your lines and know what you're doing. When I look at like filmmakers from an older generation saying like Spielberg or Paul Verhoeven or Scorsese or De Palma, they try and do scenes in the fewest takes possible. Hmm. And a lot of, like, movies today, it just seems like, all right, like, The Master and, like, two close-ups and maybe an over-the-shoulder in there, and that's it. Mm. It just seems creatively just very standard, but sometimes, like, like we only have time for this. We can't do a big, long, steady cam shot, fo- follow them through the scene or anything like that. Mm. That's why I brought that up. Is like, do you find that really, I guess, limiting for you? Do you prefer to be moving through a scene rather than just let's just stand here and talk to each other <laughs> i suppose if i yeah i mean as an actor i would i would ideally want the want um it to be performance driven but actually you know i um i don't mind you know normally by the time i'm there i'm just happy to be working so if it means that i have to stand still and deliver the lines then that's okay, you know. I, I, I do think, you know, there, there does seem to be a huge drive to do big, long one-takers, you know, like Children of Men and... Um, what's that? I was forget. Uh, Gravity, like, had, like, the same guy. I think yeah. Alfonso Cuarón did both of those. Right, right. And, I mean, I, there's moments in that, that big, long shot in Children of Men, for example, where, you know, they hide some cuts in there, but sometimes the performances are suffering slightly from the fact that they're having to do an awful lot in one take. And I think there's a balance. There's always a, a, a balance to be struck. I mean, the Spectres are obviously a recent example of a, of a big, long take. And it worked great because they weren't reliant. You know, there's not... What's great about it is there's no action. You know, there's, think of that, how expensive that shot was. And there's no explosions. Or I mean, it obviously ends at an explosive scene. But there's mm. no... The, the long, the big one take is just following people going through a crowd and up onto a building and then out onto a ledge, you know. But it's not... It's the brilliance of it is the simplicity of what's going on because you could you could set that and block that and do it simplistically and quickly and yet it still has huge impact. I mean, people were talking about that a lot 
when that film came out. Um, mm. And that's a good balance. I think they, they really try, trying to be too clever and put lots of gunfights and things like that. Then suddenly performance and dialogue becomes very much second fiddle because you've got so much. All the money is on the squibs and the bullet hits and the blood and the blah, 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 you know. And so the performance is less important because, <laughs> or you know, it, each take is going to cost a fortune. So Right. Um, you know, yeah. Um, it, it, then you then you look at keeping it in the Bond uh, point of view. Then you look in the opposite side, like Quantum of Solace. Mm. That thing is made like a a born film, and it's cut like a a born film. And it's just like like, hold on, I I can't see what's going on here. Your geography's all messed up, and I can't tell what Daniel Craig's feeling right now. Granted, it's an action scene; he wants to live, of course, but he mm. there's something lost there. On it seemed like for me. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, we, we, Oliver and I watched that recently, and I think, I don't know, I mean, you, a lot of the cinematography is very good looking, you know, a lot, certainly a lot of the lighting and the, maybe that's the main unit stuff, I don't know, but I think a lot of the sort of choppiness and the, the uh, incoherence or whatever is, is largely from the editing. But you're right, there are a lot of close ups sometimes and, and stuff, but it's not quite, it's not quite Batman Begins in terms of its, like, just literally fists and feet and you know yeah. a flurry a flurry of stuff that you can't understand and then, but that seemed intentional on Nolan's part yeah no absolutely absolutely yeah and it worked because he did still geographic like place you geographically before something like that would happen mm-hmm. um, but it was a sort of thug's eye view I think of, of Batman you know, it, I think that was the point of it so and yeah and he was saying sticking with Bond it's um, like Martin Campbell with Goldeneye like like great spectacular stunts but and but when it comes to a dialogue scene it, it is very simple like all right we got the master then we got the close-ups and the over the shoulder because he came from a tv background so that makes sense that he would want coverage like that yeah um i, I don't know how you're doing on time i don't want to eat up all your time all the day that's okay that's okay i probably have to go in the next half hour or so if that's okay no that's not a problem yeah. i'm just like yeah. um <laughs> Sorry if I'm if I'm rambling too much. Not not at all, dude. <laughs> um, worst actor experience that you've dealt with. You don't have to name names if you don't want to, but like worst actor you've dealt with. Uh, dealt with. Gosh, well, it probably wouldn't be anyone famous. Probably. Mm-hmm. I have I've, I have I have dealt with, but, but people who come from. It's not. It, 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 I don't mean to tar all drama school graduates with this but it's people who've it's actually usually people who are still doing it um, who you work with who cannot see the wood for the trees as we were saying earlier with, with the method and this and do not understand that you don't work like that mm. uh, and and then get very you know then make the sort of transition to go and work on film and get incredibly paranoid and worried when the director doesn't give them any notes right. you know they turn up on the day thinking right I'm going to have hours to, I better do my my vocal exercises and my, and then suddenly some AD is rocking up and going right can we get into costume All right can we get you into makeup right here's your sides right see ya and then they're left alone for an hour mm-hmm. and then someone comes back and goes uh, you can go to lunch now if you want and then someone comes back an hour later and goes okay um, we're nearly ready for you and then two hours later comes back and goes right get on set we're going and it's like and then they're on set and the director's been working all day hasn't got time for anyone because they're behind and isn't giving them any notes and isn't giving them any time and then they're going do you think you liked it Oh God, was it all right? Oh God, I don't know. You know, and and then that's partly that's probably not just a, a drama school thing. That's just a, an inexperienced thing. But um, 
that sort of stuff can be frustrating as an actor because then suddenly you're trying to hold them up, you know, and keep them confident as well as deliver your performance. Mm. And that can be very difficult. Um, but um, I, I have worked with people who've thrown tantrums and, and, and stormed off and uh, made life very difficult. I've heard stories on things I've been on um, of people wasting a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, generally speaking, um, I think most people are there because they love to be there. Um, mm. And I think there isn't really room for that. Um, uh, so, um, so no, I mean, I, no, I, I think most most of my experiences have been positive. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. Play, I mean, there'd be, if it's something that you're passionate about, and you get on, get there on the day, and it's something you don't want to do. Why would you want to be there in the first place? They so would just be like, "All right, this is not exactly what I planned for. It didn't turn out how I wanted. Why would I keep doing it?" it yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if the stories uh, about Bruce Willis are to be believed, and, I, and I've certainly heard my own, you know, through through other crew members and stuff who've worked with him, you just sort of you know wonder why he doesn't knock it on the head. You know, surely he doesn't need to do it anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if he just doesn't love it, you know, I think he's a great actor. I really do. He's infinitely watchable. Um, but if the passion isn't there, like we were saying earlier, you know, with it, then don't do it. Go find someone else to do, dude. Go direct or produce or something cool like that. You know? Yeah, of you course. <laughs> Get into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something that's l- less stressful on your peace of mind, it seemed like. Um, worst uh, director experience and like a follow up. What's the worst thing a director, like a cardinal sin, a director can do to an actor? Uh, what you mean in terms of their direction or handling the project? Because you know, like I said earlier, it's that sort of promising the world and not delivering is is probably the worst. Yeah, uh, direction then. Uh, okay, direction. Well, I, um, I think just dithering and not 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 having made their mind up. I think if you get to set and you're going. Now, I had this idea, and, and here's and see what you think, and blah, 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 and you throw something at them. If it, if you see that look in their eyes of like, oh, God, oh, God, what do I say, what do I say? And a lot of times, you know, you I, as an actor, you kind of have to realize that sometimes they're quite nervous about working with you. Um, I, I, you know, I don't tend to get nervous anymore, apart from when I, I get, sometimes I get very, I got put on set with um, Brendan Gleeson and Tom Cruise and people on, on all um, what was called All You Need Is Kill, it's Edge of Tomorrow. Right. And um, and suddenly expected to deliver lines. And Brendan Gleeson gave me one of his lines and all sorts of stuff. And it was like, <laughs> and my heart was going mental. You know, it was literally like, oh, my God. Um, but, um, you know, it's I, I, I think generally um, directors need to be able to answer your questions, know what they want. But also, you know, be, be flexible, but know what they want. I think the worst is when you've got a director who's not managing people, you know, who's getting snowed under with what everyone's throwing at him or her, not making a decision um, and not communicating well with everyone. And it's a tough job, you know, but I think a lot of people, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, because you would know more than I would, but a lot of people seem to get into it from through looking at it from one aspect, like post-production or yeah. cinematography or... Mm. You know, something like that. They don't get into it as thinking of it as being like, I'm a manager and I'm not going to be picking up the camera and walking around and placing it. I'm going to be sat behind a bank of monitors all day 
fielding loads of bullshit questions from people who should know better right. uh, and dealing with people's tantrums a lot. You know, it's, it's a managerial role in a lot of ways. It's, you know, for, from, from my perspective anyway. Um, and I think, you know, not understanding that or taking the time to understand that is, is, a, is a, you know, it sort of is making a rod for your own back as a director. So for, as an actor, you kind of want someone who is confident in what they want, happy to listen to you, engages mm. with everyone, and is and has the patience of a saint, you know, um, really. So they usually you've got to be pretty superhuman, I think, to take on that kind of role. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> it's yeah, like you were saying. Like when I had that slow realization that it's more managerial than others, because I'm just like, huh, okay. Mm. And it, it was slightly disheartening at first because. Because like 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 the people I, I look up as filmmakers, they're very visually driven. So I'm just like maybe I'll become a cinematographer. But I'm like I don't have patience for lighting, and I'm like, yeah. oh. I mean it's weird. Like I usually so we usually shoot outside, usually natural light and like just bounce boards and such. Mm-hmm. And I usually am the camera operator, and like sometimes I wish I wasn't because I can concentrate on a performance. But then there's other times like oh, I want it to look like this, so I have to operate it. And it's like one of those, like you're saying, a balancing act of dealing with other duties that you have to take care of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Have you encountered other filmmakers that concentrate too much on the technical side rather than an actor side of doing things? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I've worked with a lot of of, um, directors who are just looking at the the cinematography or you know what have you mm-hmm. or the effects or whatever and on on you know you got them and sort of go is that okay and they, they go hmm? uh, yeah you know and that's all the notes you get so but then you know i understand that sometimes your job as an actor is not to be after every take be given notes you know mm. like nowadays like last night for example you know we, we do a take i come back and just go notes Anyone notes, you know, and I, not just for the director, but you know, the camera guys or the, any, or the sound guys, you know, um, any notes, any notes, no, okay, good, move on, and then you just do it again. If if there's no notes, do it the same way again. You know? Yeah, um, and and it's I, I probably get a bit a lot more sort of mechanical about it, but I figure that my job is to turn up with the performance ready. If there's any changes I want to make to the script, then I have to okay them with the director. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, the performance is how I want it. And if he's happy with the performance, then great. And Brad, bless him, yesterday he was coming over and you know going, no, that's great, that's really good. I love the way you did this and did that. And if you've got a director who's really watching the performance, and 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 somehow, and again, you've got to be this kind of weird, omnipotent being that can take in the visuals, the sound, the performance, the blocking, everything, and mm-hmm. see it all as one, and pay attention to everything as one. You know, and think about. Because he was again, he was great. Because he was going, no, no, I can cut around that, and I can use that bit from that take and that bit from that take, and we've got a reverse of this, so that's fine. You know, he's sort of editing in his head as he goes. Um, it's amazing to have someone like that, and it's a godsend. So it's that's where I'd want them to give to you. I have worked with directors who, yeah, just don't say anything, and then you see the final product, and you go, well, that's bad, and that's bad, but oh, great, they managed to get there. They managed to comp in a, a monkey in the background or whatever they were, were going for. You know, but, yeah, it, 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 like you feel a little disheart, like you're saying, disheartening on set. But you're just like, all right, I just got to take care of myself here. Um, mm. Have you both shot on film, like being filmed on celluloid and on digital? And do you have a preference as an actor? No, I don't care. Um, I have. I've worked on 16 mil, 30, 30 
five because we shot a, um, I shot an advert for an American financial company called SPDR, mm-hmm. um, and it or Spider ETFs or whatever. But it's on it's on YouTube. You can watch it. Um, and Danny Cohen shot it, who's the cinematographer that did um, King's Speech and Les Mis and stuff like that. Re- you know, really great cinematographer. And he mm-hmm. obviously insisted that he used thirty five mil film, so they shot, it, which never happens. There. You don't shoot an ad on thirty five mil film. But, yeah. no. but in terms of my performance, I mean, I you know, um, yeah, I know it's probably costing an arm and a leg every time they, they do a take, but it's not up to me. Um, so, you know, eh, it looks great. It always looks really great. You know, you've got a really nice, you know, the colours always pop really well and everything on celluloid. But, um, the reason why I ask that is because, like, you have X amount of feet per, like, if per magazine or film and stuff like that versus digital where you can kind of just let it run. Mm. Do you, does that come into effect like oh I only ha- like do you, do you have like almost like a subconscious like oh I have I really no, got hit like okay no I, I you know I suppose rather callously I just think well that's their department you know um, right there's certain things I should be aware of and involved in when it comes to the technical side of things and others I shouldn't and you know that's that's just one of them if they say to me look you have to get this scene in X amount of time then fair enough I have to I have to adjust my performance accordingly but um but no, I mean, I, I, I mean, certainly in the early days of digital, that you'd have hard drive space would run out really quickly. So you probably had just as much time to shoot stuff as, as film as a, you know the can. But um, but no, no, I, I no, I don't think so. I think once once the scenes run its course, you don't need to just leave the camera rolling and see what happens. I think it's right. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's funny because every time I shoot something and I'm I'm with my editor, we're like dumping all the footage in, and like all right, we set the timeline and we're like all right. Which take for this shot? I'm like, well, it's, it's the last one. And it's usually the last take for every setup is the one that ends up in the edit. It's just like, all right. Yeah. Like, we're both satisfied because usually, he's usually on set with me. So I was like, all right, we knew what we wanted there. And it's like, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good. And it's kind of move on. We'd, the one thing that – the one pride I can take and whatever I do is if like, all right, I know what I got. Let's move on. Mm. Um, now, this is just a few questions about – Big like just actors in general, just like certain types of movies that kind of happen, mm-hmm. like movies that like the transformation roles or like they let people like put on a lot of weight or lose a lot of weight or play a person who's got disabilities. Do you think like your feelings on that as an actor? Do you feel and like because a lot of those movies end up being like Oscar buzz movies? Do you think mm-hmm. that's a I want to use the word valid, but or is it like? Do you think that's almost like a cheat? Not that's not, that's too harsh a word either. But do you think that's almost like a gimme for some people when watching a movie? Uh, what so sort of like Christian Bale in uh, like machinist? Yeah, the machinist or yeah. Eddie or, um, Eddie Redmayne as like Stephen Hawking's at like last year. Yeah, well, that was a transport. I, I don't know that he lost a lot of weight, did he? Or maybe he did. He's, he's quite a spindly guy, I think, anyway. But um, yeah. he was very transformative, obviously, in his physicality. And that was a tough role, because I remember him saying that because of shooting out of sequence, you know, he had to, there were a lot of times when he'd have to do on the same day, you know, hawking at loads of different stages of his illness um, and jump between the two, which is, is technically a very difficult thing to pull off. Um, I, think, I think it can. It can be... I suppose it can come off as a bit of a gimmick when it is what everyone focuses on. I think, you know, um, with Bale's sort of transformation for the machinist, it is distracting. Um, 
<laughs> to borrow his, it's distracting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's, it's kind of, um, it, I suppose it, it distracts but does not detract, if that makes sense. You know, it, does, it obviously has, has makes a huge contribution to the character. Mm. Um, and it enabled him on screen. Like there were times when he's that. I think he said there's a bit where he's running. He's got to run, and it's like he had no energy. You know, right. it was it was the most painful, horrible thing to have to try and do. Um, so I guess it, as long as it informs the character and works within the within the story, that's fine. I think if it if it's just there to grab attention, then. You know, I mean, but again, it comes down to making those decisions at an early stage. You know, responding to the script, going, "What do I need to do in order to do this role?" Um, and uh, I suppose some people see it as like a challenge, just to lose all that weight or gain all that weight, or you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I suppose you've got people looking at it from a career perspective of, you know, I've done this many roles up until now, and that's what I'm known for, and now I want to completely change the game. I mean, Stallone in Copland, for example, you know, there's. Someone, and it's probably harder to go that way than the other way, which is, you know, you've, you've spent your whole career being ripped and muscly, and you've got this great physique, and now you've got to destroy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but well, he was great in that. I mean, if I was going to give him an Oscar or a Gold Globe or anything, it'd probably be that. Yeah, you know? yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, but um, that, and like, he's not the only star of that movie. I mean, everybody no. brings their A game. They're like Leota, Keitel, De Niro. We do it. Me and my me and my friend Franco have a thing with it, with De Niro with that. But it's like if, if if you cock something up, we'll just be like, "You blew it!" I love that scene. It's brilliant. Yeah, no, they're all they're all firing on all cylinders on that film. But yeah, I you know I think um, again for Stallone's character, that was it was important that he be out of shape. Mm. You know, he's a he's a lazy cop of a, of a cop town, and so he can't look, you know, like he's just stepped out of off the cover of Men's Fitness and. You know, it's, it's been doing some giant workout. You know, gotcha. So, so it, yeah. it's funny. Like my sister and I will like we we quote like De Niro from like Backdraft. I know, really obscure like that. Just like, <laughs> the, did you realize you're walking into a river of gasoline? And you're just like, even like the most like if somebody screws up, like one of us will yell that at each other yeah, and yeah, and yeah. just to <laughs> berate each other for it. Um, <laughs> Now that you're saying about like trying to break out the mold of a certain perception for actors, it mm. seems like for like a lot of like A-list stars, all of a sudden they do like the independent like scandalous movies, right. like where like they like oh like like Anne Hathaway and Havoc or Michael Fassbender. I forget what the hell it was, but like they they try and like oh like I have this perception I'm going to do shame like this f- shame yes, and yeah, they do yeah. like full nudity movies do you think that's almost become like a slight cliche for careers for some people um i don't know i mean um with those examples i mean it's what they wanted to do with their career i mean who am i to judge i think um uh you know i you you don't have to watch them i suppose but it's yeah. just i don't know like yeah maybe but it's kind of if that's where they want to go if they're fed up playing a certain role and they want to go against type it's it's a it's a it's a sensible decision to make i suppose i mean i i don't know that i want to make make a sex, sexy movies necessarily but right. uh, <laughs> but uh, cuz who wants to see that <laughs> um, like, why is that walrus doing that? oh it's it's <laughs> um, but no, um, I think um, 
Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I suppose if you were to ask them, that it's probably a calculated decision, or it's you know, it's just that they want to do something different, and why not? Gotcha. Yeah. Um, like last few questions, and I'll, I'll let you get out of here. Um, <laughs> get out of here! <laughs> get out of here! <laughs> I always say that as uh, uh, Jack Nicholson. You know, he goes, uh, get, get out of here! <laughs> 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 wiping the fake makeup off yeah, his forehead and everything. Yeah. Uh, like, a friend of mine had never seen 89 Batman. I know. What? Strange person. I know. <laughs> and, and I grabbed him to do, like, Bob, you're my number one guy. And he'd never yeah. seen it before. And he got really freaked out about it. And he's like, and like, in the middle, like, I'm like, like, Joe, you're my number one. And he starts, like, retracting from me, like, are you okay? He's like, what are you doing? Like, never mind then. <laughs> and it was... And see, there's another performer, Pal- Jack Palance, with this. Maybe we can cut a deal. You know, it's, it's just that crazy. Like, and, then, and then it's funny how Jack Nicholson's kind of adopted that now with the whole, you know, it's, his performance is up there. You know, he's always got that kind of rhythm. <laughs> you know, and. and uh, but, yeah. More uh, than that. More than that. It, it seemed like. Palance seems like the kind of person that Nicholson would have looked up to when he started getting into the industry. Yeah, yeah. And just to outright kind of like copy him in that, I thought I always found that really funny. Yeah, totally. totally. Um, Tango and cash. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Favorite performance that you've done in your career thus far? Oh, that's, well, wow. Um, We can come back to that question if you want to think about that one. Yeah, I, well, I've had I've had such a lot of very. I mean, I'm very proud of doing something like Kenneth because it was the first time I've ever, and only time really, that I've had a lead role in a feature. Um, and but it's difficult because I look back on that now, and it's like I was six months into acting, and I, I sort of wish I could do something like that now. Um, I think as you go on and you pick up an agent and you pick up bigger roles you invariably do, you only get to work on smaller stuff because you're going into a realm that's not going to cast you as the lead because you're not famous. Mm. So, you know, um, but I'm, I don't know, like this, I just like it when I see something back and, you know, and usually typically it's months or a year or two years after I did it and I've completely forgotten about it and I'm and I'm biting my nails because I'm going god did I, what did I do I don't even remember what I did and oh god is it, did it come off on camera okay and how does it fit within the is, is it going to really stand out from the because mm. whenever you watch you know whenever you watch yourself back it is stupid and that you know that you can never see it objectively but whenever you watch it it stands out from you know that it gets to your scene and you go oh god is the scene oh god right and, and, and here I come and uh, and it, and it and you're completely removed from the film, so you never really see it as part. Of, it's actually funny watching Kenneth is a lot easier because I'm in every scene pretty much. You, mm. I do start to forget that it's me, and I can kind of ease into the. It's just a story, and it's a film. Whereas when you when you're you're wait you're waiting for you, yourself to turn up, it just pulls you straight out of the film. And so, um, but anything I've done where I've kind of gone, oh, yeah, you know, there's been moments like, and there are moments like that in Kenneth, and I suppose because. I'm there so much that you know I, I, um, that I had more opportunity to. But there, I, there are moments when I go. Ah. There's a moment where um, Terry's characters, like I, I tell him to the tramp, you know, mm. um, I'm like, here, here, take my money and go. And he just comes up to me and he goes, I don't need your charity, and then snatches the money. Snatches the money. <laughs> and they added on the sound mix. They've added like a penny drop hitting the ground. 
<laughs> which is perfect comedy timing because it's just like ting, 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 and I just looked at him you know there's that look of like <laughs> just, that's probably my favourite part of the film and it doesn't make any sense but I just think it's funny I just think it's a great again I, I thought the writing in that was just brilliant you know um, and, and if the writing's great then and, and you're a sort of halfway competent actor then the performance is going to be good usually so um, so yeah so probably probably Kenneth I suppose but um, I'm very proud of getting on things like EastEnders and I was very proud that Brendan Gleeson gave me a line in Edge of Tomorrow, even though the whole thing didn't end up in the film. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, and, and being on Skyfall and, and being, you know, for different reasons, even though I never saw any of that back, but mm. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, I understand where you're coming from because, like, people have asked, asked me to act in their stuff and I'm like, okay. And it comes to showing it before I'm in front of people and I'm like oh I I can't look at myself right now I can't even oh, look yeah. at the screen and it just and you just hear your voice back and if you're not used to hearing your voice back it can be a little disconcerting at first you're just like is, is that how people perceive me is that how I sound to the world yeah well that's why I like doing accents because <laughs> then you don't sound like you, you know? and and actually funny somebody pointed out if you like put your hand over your left ear and you talk Mm. Wow, I, that was a very Long Island thing for me to say. Talk, talk, uh, uh, talk. yeah. Water, coffee, drawer. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> how. Like, that's 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 uh, my terrible accent there. Um, water. Uh, <laughs> get yeah. a cup of water. Well, yeah, water. Oh man, water. bagel. Uh-huh. Let's go in the car. It's it's really really obscene sometimes. <laughs> when I go I go to different places in the country and I speak, they're like, "What?" And I'm like. Oh, right. Uh, you can't understand me. Um, oh, man, I totally just lost my train of thought there. Oh, no, yes, yes, I remember. If you cover your left ear and you speak, and the how you hear yourself back, that's how people perceive you. Right, right, right. So yeah. I'm like, huh, okay. And, like, one last question. is like, your favorite impression you'd like to do? My favorite? Uh, do you know, I, I, I tend to get sort of locked in on stuff. Sometimes I'll do something. Well, it was on one of our video commentaries. I did like a Bill Cosby. I was like, oh my God, I know I can do Bill Cosby. Because before it was always kind of like, that, that, you know, it was all like, like right. stuff. And, and it was never really accurate. But I did one on that. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. I think it was the Night of the Living Dead po- we did the, the video podcast on. And I was like, damn it, I can do it. And suddenly you key into something. And it's very much, and a lot of psychologists have done things on impressionists where they say it's, it's the visual side of your brain you access. It's not the the oral, you know, as in ears side, um, it's the, it's the, 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 the visual. So, I mean, I, you know, when suddenly, like I, I, I walk out, I remember when, by way back when the dark Knight came out and I walked out of the, the cinema and I was like, I couldn't stop talking like Heath Ledger, you know, like the Joker. Cause mm-hmm. I was just like, it was so ingrained in my, in, in my head. And, um, you, and I just, I'm sort of compelled to do it. And so I don't know that I have one, impression that I, I particularly love to do. Everyone seems to like Michael Caine. Mm. Um which is which is great. But I my Michael Caine is very much a rip off of uh of Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan's because they did a I don't know if you've seen that they did a show called The Trip which was um broadcast oh. here. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it was basically them just going on a road trip and doing impressions at each other all the time. <laughs> but they had a sort of Michael Caine off in the restaurant and you know, they're talking about young versus old Michael Caine and you know, and, and Rob Brydon, I think, probably nailed it for me because he was just like, Michael Caine used to talk like this, right? But over the years, all the cigars, <laughs> the 
have got to the back of his throat. <laughs> it's just like, and you don't do the broken voice. You don't do it when he gets very emotional. <laughs> she was only 16. <laughs> you know, it's just like, but that's them, you know. And, and quite often that's the case. I'm a, I'm a huge plagiarist when it comes to, to impressions because it's usually that I've seen someone do it and they, they'll have picked out a characteristic from the person there, and I'll go oh, that's it that's the key that's the way in you know and then sometimes I'll, I'll doctor it but the only one I never really did that with was Arnold you know Arnold was always mine because I picked up on his old versus young again um, mm. sort of thing and um, he's so much more dithery now that he's got older he's so sort of like <laughs> you know all the time and um, <laughs> which is great you know I mean Exactly, and the fantastic, and, and you know, he says this. He has these go-to words to fill gaps when he's thinking. You know? <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so I kind of picked up on that. And then versus young Arnold when he was much more cocksure and, and confident, and you know, talking about you know, it's like the feeling of coming in the gym. Oh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you had to go to that Imagine one. I'm a chain in heaven, right? He's, like, and he's all up here in his, in his voice. So, um, but I just love studying people. I had so much fun when we were doing the X-Men commentaries because I'd never really tried to do an Ian McKellen, um, really. But from watching it, we were just sort of larking around and it came out of doing that and um, and I had fun with that. And I don't know, it just it's it, whatever's going on at the time, I just enjoy. And sometimes I'll find one and I'll just... I'll uh, I'll just run with it, you know. And and I wish I could lock them into my brain better because I don't. I just sort of they're always on the hoof, and then mm. very few of them sort of stay around. Um, Jack Nicholson, I'm quite happy with, <laughs> right? But it's but it's very that one one note I don't do. A lot of people do Jack, you know. They're like two sort of young younger Jack Nicholson, I suppose. Like like Robin Williams always did quite a quite an affected Jack Nicholson it was always mm. like, you know I don't know <laughs> which is the go-to one but for me it's always the old Jack you know it's always that deep deep voice yeah. it's funny like you bring that up I'm just like where you're saying old versus uh, new or young Michael Caine and I'm like so mm. like immediately I went to Zulu and I'm like huh yeah, he sounds very different versus like Harry Brown or something like that. I'm like, right, all right, right, I got you on that one. Um, then you've one... got transitional, like in uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and stuff like that. The sort of transitional Michael Caine mm-hmm. <laughs> when he was getting a bit older and you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and then Jaws the Revenge, and he has yeah. My favorite line delivery is like, shark comes at him, and he's just like, oh shit, <laughs> and this... oh shit. <laughs> it's just sort of like, uh, it just seems so couldn't be bothered by the fact that there's a giant shark coming at him. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question about James Bond. Mm. Now, now you're saying wanting to take on projects that you'd be able to expand and be an actor. However, with Bond, it seems like, of course, each actor brings their own something to be unique to that role. However, then people start to just define you as James Bond. Like Sean Connery, people always say, oh, he was James Bond. Like Roger Moore, oh, he was always James Bond. They'll rarely bring up the fact that he was in The Saint. Or like like Pierce Brosnan, they'll be like, oh, yeah, he was James Bond. Do you think that's No one ever mentions stigma? Lawnmower Man. Or what was it, The Runaway Train? Or what, what was it, Death Train? I can't remember. Well, he did lots of... Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, pre and Dante's Peak. Uh, yeah, Dante's Bill, you know, great. <laughs> uh, uh, 
botanist movie or a, a, a geological movie. <laughs> uh, the um, he he did things like the Matador. Actually, I think it's fantastic. I think he's brilliant in that. I think he's hilarious in that film. Um, sorry, what was, Mia. sorry, I got hung up on my Pierce impression. <laughs> it's fine. Do you do you, do you feel like sometimes as an actor, do you think like a role like that? Do you think it's a blessing also as being a curse? I think, I mean, you, with, with, with Bond as the example, you probably have to take each actor on their own merit because some of them have been quite well established prior to getting it and others have been from relative obscurity. I mean, certainly George Lazenby was right obscurity. So I think it really depends on, do you know, I, I, to, um, I mean, it is relevant as well. I, I, I remember way back when, again, this was in my first year of acting, I was doing a course down in London. This is relevant, I promise. I'm not just going off on a And it was one of those really weird moments when the phone rang and it was Nina Gold's office. Nina Gold, big, big casting director. And they asked me to come in and read for uh, Jack in Jack the Giant Slayer. Um, and I'm like, I didn't have an agent. I, it turned out that um, another casting director had recommended me, God bless her, um, for for the role so I I was like what? and they wanted me to learn five pages of dialogue and get in the next morning and do it and I was sort of doing my course as well and I was like oh my god oh my god and stupid I don't know why I said this was like can I come in in the evening because I've got a course I'm doing in the morning and I was like why me? but they, they accommodated me um, <laughs> but it was that thing and so I spent about 24 hours obviously hugely excited and learning lines but also thinking like what happens to me if I get this and of course I didn't know what the film would turn out to be Mm. So, you know, I don't think it did terribly well, but I just thought, God, like, what if I, what, I, I could go from naught to 100 miles an hour like that, and it, and it, and it made me think of, of um, dear old Brandon Routh, you know, who, who had been in exactly that position, pretty much. I mean, he, he, he was more, more established than I was at that stage. I think he'd done quite a lot of soap opera and stuff in the states, mm-hmm. um, and uh, a quick Christina Aguilera video, but I think. Um, you know, I was sort of looking at his, his example. I think it's, it's difficult because you look at it and sort of go, well, but, but it, it, it puts your career way, way up there. Um, I think people like, like Daniel Craig, he's managed to, he's obviously been, he's been a lot more involved with the product, you know, with the, the producing side of things. In fact, he even got a producer credit, I think, on Spectre. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's taken the reins on it in that regard. And I think he, he has been defined as Bond, but he's also managed to do some other good work. He's also doing stage work. You know, he's trying to keep it varied. But I think I think just as an actor, you just see it as a case of, well, it takes me up a notch. It takes me to a next level. And whether whether it's, you know, typecasting or not, it gets other movies made. You know, I mean, Pierce Brosnan was saying about he, his, his production company, Irish Dreamtime, that's that's made films like The Matador and, and The Nephew and th- little films like that. You know, he's been able to to get them off the ground either, I guess, through self funding or just because of him being in it. You know, mm-hmm. putting his face on the box means the thing is it, people will give money to it. So you know, it's I suppose from a from an outsider's perspective, it does look like that's all they're they're, they're known for. But actually, they've been able to go on and do work and and get projects off the ground that they wouldn't have been able to if they hadn't had that behind them. So, um, no, I, I think it's something you grab with both hands and you, you, you relish and you, you, you do it. I mean, um, I, I, I can't see it being a bad thing. Gotcha. Hmm. All right. I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast on acting with Duncan Casey here. And hmm. if people want to follow you on social media, Duncan, where would you like to send them? If you want them to follow you. 
Good question. No, uh, absolutely. Well, I, Twitter's probably the one I, I use the most to kind of uh, interact with people, um, which is just at Duncan Casey, um, mm. uh, capital D, capital C. I don't know if that makes a difference on Twitter, does it? Does K- uh, I don't think so. No, so yeah, just at Duncan Casey. Yes, I must have got in there really early with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's usually where I'm at, and 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 um, I do try and um, respond to people as much as possible on there. So that's great. Obviously, with all of us uh, YouTube stuff, I I try and um, write in the comments section when I can. Um, and I'm and I'm sort of I, I started posting videos myself just to answer because a lot of people were throwing me questions and stuff. So I was trying to sort of answer those in video form but i'm really bad at sort of sitting down and, and doing it to camera so um, i'm slow with that but i'm working on it um mm. so you can find me on youtube as well but uh, but those are the two main things and i do have a page on facebook if you want to go ahead and like that as well if you just search for my name um you'll find it yeah okay and if you want to follow me on social media you can follow me on twitter at timothy bruni 2 Follow my Instagram, tbruni1012, and follow my YouTube page, Through the Lens Productions, and obviously follow this podcast on soundcloud.com. All right, uh, Duncan, I want to thank you again for taking a part of this podcast. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. All right, thank you. All right, hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast on acting, and I hope it was I hope it was enough on topic for people to listen to when we weren't <laughs> just going on too many tangents. That, that seems to be the case in most of my podcasts. Like, I have this one main idea. We'll eventually get there, but it, it's I always say, if we're entertaining enough, I think it warrants us to be able to go on tangents. Well, I hope it was informative. You know, I, think, I hope the, the main note people have probably walked away from is, like, actors love the sound of their own voice. But, um, <laughs> uh, and sometimes other people's voices. But, uh, no, uh, it's, been, it's been really great, and I hope, I hope it's been informative. Yeah. All right. And I will hope everybody's enjoyed this, and we'll talk to you soon.